It's the other side of midnight with Frank Morano. of midnight i'm frank morano if there is one thing that seems to bring everybody together the old the young republicans democrats men women they all have medical questions they all have health care questions now the questions that a 16 year old asks are a great deal different from the questions that a 75 year old asks and there are so many other factors other than age behind what questions you're likely to ask when you get together with friends for the holidays or you know when you're watching a football game are you chatting about uh, the latest neighbor the latest friend that has tried ozempic and whether you should are you chatting about whether you should get the covid vaccine booster or not or is it something else i have been amazed over the course of the last few years that it seems like no matter what the medical question is there is an incredibly brilliant doctor and scholar who seems to have an answer ready for just about all of them. And I am uh, thrilled to welcome to the other side of midnight, Dr. Peter Mikolos, board certified physician who previously served as a chief of surgery and president of the medical staff of his community hospital. He's been an author. He's been an educator. He has a resume longer than most people's medical bills. Dr. Mikolos, it's great to have you on the program. Thanks for staying up late with us. It's great to be here on the Frank Morano show and on the other side of midnight and uh, oftentimes sometimes if i'm uh, working uh, late or if i'm up late or sometimes you go into various establishments and you hear they have your show on and people listen attentively and you'll always learn something interesting that you won't find anywhere else on your show so it's great to be with you and uh, happy to talk about some of the medical issues that have been in the news and one of the topics that you and I talked about uh, earlier was the issue of plastics mm-hmm. and microplastics and nanoplastics. And these are basically tiny pieces of plastic that are so tiny, normally things can't cross the blood-brain barrier, which is the communication between our blood and our brain. And that's why it's so hard to treat certain diseases in the brain, for example, even brain cancer, to get chemotherapy in. But these microplastics are getting into cells in our blood and crossing into the brain. So it's really fascinating that a recent study was done where they had special lasers to scan one liter of water, and they found that the plastic bottle water had 240,000 mm. pieces of these microplastics, which is 100 times more than they ever suspected. So with these new technologies, they found that out, and then they took some good old-fashioned tap water, and they found only 5.5 particles in the tap water. So we spent all this money trying to think we have cleaner and better water. So uh, one of the things I think, in my opinion, after some of these studies are starting to come out and the concerns 
that some of these nanoplastics getting into our cells, which were not in our ancestors' environments, these are something new introduced just recently in the last uh, century, is they, they cause things like they're associated with cancer, fertility problems, birth defects. So we need to know a lot more. So in my opinion, I think that there should be a standardization where uh, just like they tell you how many calories or how many proteins or carbohydrates in a food you buy or anything we buy with food, there should be also a little section that this water was scanned for plastic microparticles and it contains whatever the amount would be the minimum that would be acceptable for human consumption. And we don't even know what that value would be, right. but I think that's something out there, if there's anybody listening or anybody in uh, politics or environmental regulation, I think it's something that we should do. And even for small children and babies consuming these micro pieces of plastic, and we, we don't realize how much plastic we're actually oh, yeah. exposed to. Oh, no, when we've you're been... driving down the road and those tires are spinning in front of you on the 100 cars in front of you on the highway, Guess what happens? Tires wear, wear, your tires wear down. What happens as your tires are thinning? Where does that plastic go? Guess where it goes? It goes up into the environment. When you have your window rolled down, you're actually breathing some of those micro particles even from your tires. And, and we're exposed to that. And we're talking about tons and tons of this stuff in the air that nobody ever really talks about. That's why I tell people that the cabin filters on their car are very important to change them. Remember we had those Canadian wildfires? I told everyone after those fires were over, please take your cars in for servicing. Here's another tip for our audience. And their cabin filters, which are HEPA filters, everyone who I told to do that told me the mechanic was amazed. It was all clogged up with this type of burning ash material from those Canadian wildfires. But on the same token, the rubberized material coming off of tires is also airborne on highways. So that's the tip of the day for our audience to change your cabin filters just like you do when you have to change your oil filter. You can probably do it twice a year. Right. And you'll be surprised that you'll find the debris in there. And that helps protect your lung long term because we don't know what type of cancer these particles could potentially it's not just smoking. There's other things in the air, and these particles get in there, and they can't get out. Uh, I remember. So in the meantime, until there is the kind of standard that you're talking about, um, should people avoid things like uh, plastic water bottles? I'm actually drinking from a plastic water bottle right now. Is that a mistake? Yeah. No, I think I'm doing the same thing. But what I'm what I did start to do is I I bought a countertop filter. I don't want to mention any specific brands, but I bought a countertop filter with a um, a micro particle filter, and basically I pour my bottled plastic water into that particular filter. So then I get an additional uh, layer of filtration on top of what. You know, let's say it's coming out of a spring and it's been stored in a bottle. And also when it's stored in high temperature and hot environments and trucks, there's a concern about what happens to these plastics at high temperature. So I think adding an additional filter layer would be helpful. I think that it's very cumbersome to have, pla to have glass bottles, but I think a lot of people are starting to recognize that they would rather have glass bottles. And I also think that testing your own house water can be something to do and putting a filtration system you might save a ton of money 
on uh, buying bottled water. Because if you, for example, in New York, we have fantastic water in the New York area and other parts of the country. There's a lot of great waters. But one of the things that people should consider is they do have testing kits. You can go online and they send you a little sample bottle and you can send in your water and really get an analysis and see what's happening. And you could even test your favorite bottle of uh, plastic uh, uh, spring water and, and try it out. So having actionable data, I think, is very important to actually see what's in there. And sometimes you'll, you know, you may get surprised or you may get pleasantly surprised. Mm. Uh, no, I mean, it makes sense. We're talking with Dr. Peter Mikolaus, board certified physician, uh, physician and a regular contributor uh, to the Cats Roundtable, Sunday morning's most listened to radio talk show. Uh, Dr. Mikolaus, one of the things that I think almost everyone that's ever been to a hospital or a doctor has experienced is some sort of medical error. And unfortunately, uh, NBC News had an interesting story. It's not unique to them, demonstrating that medical errors pretty frequently can kill. And you're more likely, these medical mistakes are more likely, apparently, to kill women and minorities. We're seeing hundreds of thousands of U.S. patients harmed or die each year because of diagnostic errors. What can be done to reduce the number of medical mistakes that are costing people their lives? Well, there are there are uh, several issues. I think that uh, we have uh, in in our country uh, what I call a priority portfolio dysfunction, where we don't really invest what we need in healthcare, and we need to have uh, a lot of supervision, a lot of uh, hospitals and teaching hospitals, for example, require they have medical students, residents, they need to have uh, proper supervision. And also sometimes we have people who are, for example, uh, we have, you know, nurse practitioners who have a certain level of training. We have physicians. So we do have a, a shortage of physicians. Reimbursement has dropped dramatically. You know, you get $23 for a follow-up focused eye exam, for example, an ophthalmologist gets, and you're, you're overhead and your costs are only $46. So guess what? You may not hire and have enough staff, or you may not, a lot of people have armies of medical assistants, but they may not be able to afford to have a registered nurse, for example, and also hospitals have to survive financially, and uh, they might have, in the old days, they used to have the hospital filled with, for example, a hernia patient and someone after a gallbladder. Now they Mm. push you out and they get you out of the hospital. So that same nurse is now taking care of 10 people, but who are really sick and they're running like an ICU on the, on the regular floor. So that's one of the problems that the people who are in the hospital are much uh, sicker. And the other issue is that, for example, people talk about, yes, the, you know, the women, the minority issue, but what they don't say is, for example, if you go to a County hospital in Brooklyn some of the people that you're taking care of um, may have a lot of diseases like diabetes and comorbidity, comorbidities, alcohol uh, issues. I, I experienced that firsthand. It's not about, it's not, it's just the reality of the situation. There's people who have uh, drug issues, people on multiple medications. So the outcomes are not as great. 
if you go into a, 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 a community hospital where people have a regular internist, a family practitioner, guess what? Those people are getting their blood pressure under control. They're getting their sugars under control, their cholesterol under control. So you have less less comorbidities. And also when you're dealing in certain areas and certain population, many people are underinsured. For example, you know, people have uh, some of these uh, health care, new so-called health care plans, but I say they have cards without care because a lot of doctors won't take those uh, insurance plans if they're paying $20 a visit. You know, I know some of these plans, if you do a reconstructive surgery on somebody's face after you remove a cancer, they pay $190. The plumber gets three times as much to install your toilet. So as a, as a country, we need to invest the proper amount of funds into healthcare, just like we cut all these psychiatric hospitals, and that's why we're having a lot of these crime issues. Most of the people are going around the streets of New York. I used to work in Rikers Island, and people got when they got arrested, they got the care, and it was compassionate. They got an appointment with a psychiatrist, a therapist. They got follow-up. Now they don't even get a shower with the bail reform. That's why I talk about the uncompassionate side of bail reform, but there's a health care issue there because we had all these inpatient facilities, and it all started years ago. I believe I read that it started when uh, gov- with Governor Ukari, who started trying to save money and started closing a lot of hospitals, and then it continued with the other governors until we got caught with basically our pants down during COVID, where we cut all these various hospital beds, not only psychiatric beds, we cut, it was called the Burger Commission, and they got this accountant to sit there, a number cruncher. They got rid of a bunch of hospital beds, closed small little hospitals throughout areas around the country to save money. But then we found out that healthcare is national security. And when we had a pandemic, we didn't have enough hospital beds. And you saw people in hallways and people out in the street. Imagine if we had a war or we had a really serious uh, uh, next pandemic. We don't address uh, healthcare the way it's important. You know, we, we're sending money all around the world and all these different issues. Again, I don't do politics, but, you know, we're blowing money sure. left and right. And that money, again, priority portfolio, it should be going towards health care. We, we didn't even make our own masks. We don't make our own components <laughs> for our antibiotics, it's, our medicine. It's incredible. I don't we mean to make, laugh. Yeah. But no, it, but it's it's serious. We didn't have. I mean, I, I, I was in the, you know, in the middle of the pandemic. I was scouring around in my community to help find masks, and gloves, gowns, you know. And and you just they weren't anywhere to be had, and it was it was it was very very uh, serious to really think about as a country that the components of many of our medicines, our antibiotic, our di- our diabetes medicine, high blood pressure, cholesterol, a lot of the components are coming from other countries. So that that all ties into that issue of medical outcomes, and also I'll give people our audience a tip better not to have surgery July and August. Why? Because that's when all the new interns and new residents come into the hospital and the trainees start July 1st. So that is the worst time, in my opinion, to be in the hospital. That's good to know. And then the other thing is if you're in another state, you want you, you don't necessarily want the chairman of the department operating you who might be the best politician. You want the director of fellowship training and the director of residency training working on you. Why? Because those are the guys who actually teach hmm. and actually do the surgeries 
And the other thing Americans do uh, a lot and they get into trouble is they travel around the world and they say, oh, I'm an American. And guess what? Your coverage and your health insurance and your Medicare, if you're over 65 or if you have Medicaid, does not cover you outside the country. If you go to Puerto Rico, you're covered or St. John's, U.S. Virgin Island. Go an island over to Aruba or Bahamas, you have no coverage. Mm. And Americans end up with these giant bills. And that's another health care tip for our audience. Always call up and get at least a $50,000 no-deductible health policy when you're out of the country and medical evacuation. I have at least five people in the past year who called me to thank me about that. One person was in Mexico. They wanted $5,000 for the CAT scan. His wife fell, was injured. She had to be stitched up. The insurance covered it. Or somebody was in England and got chest pain. People think, oh, they have national health system. Not for Americans. You get a bill and they have it waiting for you at the airport because you need to have it's about access to health care. Having a card is not everything. It's also about access. A lot of folks, uh, we're talking with Dr. Peter Mikolos. A lot of folks, Dr. Mikolos, are concerned about RSV. Uh, I've spoken with a few people who've had it and had COVID, and they've said that uh, they found RSV to be even more debilitating than COVID was for them. In your view, I know a lot of places, there's a lot of advertising for these RSV vaccines. Who do you think, if anyone, should be getting the RSV vaccine? Well, I think it's an individual decision with your doctor, but obviously the higher-risk people who have lung problems, the smokers, the uh, older population, people over 65, those are the higher risk. And there might be uh, kids who have asthma or other lung issues or lung problems like cystic fibrosis or some other uh, lung issues that they would probably be good candidates The other thing is that there are also antivirals being developed. Just like if you have the flu, if you can get access to an antiviral and you take it right away, it will change the course of the disease. Just like with COVID, it's not just about vaccines because a lot of times the vaccines are for the prior variant and keeping up with the various variants. But when you have a good oral antiviral that blocks all RNA viruses, for example, or if you have antivirals, which do exist for RSV, I think what we need is a better test-to-treatment program where, like, for example, we have urgent care near where I live, and the doctor, people come in, they get tested for flu, COVID, strep, and they even have RSV tests. And if you can find out what people have right away and you can treat immediately with an antiviral and block the viral replication, you can save a lot of headaches. And I know many people personally who took the oral antiviral, for example, molnupiravir is one of them. Uh, the other one is called Paxlovid. Molnupiravir is used a lot in Europe, in England. It's also called Levegrio. When you take that, like, immediately within three days of uh, COVID, those people do really well, and it really blocks the viral replication. So I think that for RSV and for other diseases, I think moving more towards uh, immediate treatment because vaccines also will not block 100% of all all the cases. But I think we're going to be seeing more and more better oral antivirals. There's one actually coming out of Japan that's looking like it's amazing, and it's probably going to be available in the United States by next year. Just like when you have flu, you take Tamiflu, and if you take it within the first three days, you just don't get um, as sick. And I think that uh, also there are little tips, another tip for our audience. 
when your mucous membranes are are dried out, you get more viruses and bacteria. That's why we say catch a cold, because when you go outside, when your mucous membranes, your sinuses are dry, viruses and bacteria more readily enter. That's why when we were little kids, parents were running humidifiers, because mm-hmm. when your mucous membranes are moist, it's a barrier, and it helps block viruses and bacteria from entering. Why do you think people get sick all the time when they come off long flights and international flights? Because what do they do on airplanes? Airplanes have extremely low humidity. Why? Because they don't want humidity in a plane because humidity causes rust. Rust causes metal fatigue and structural failure. That's why people actually like to fly, especially people with dry eye or people get sick often. They like to fly the Boeing Dreamliner. Why? Because it's carbon fiber line. And guess what? The humidity is higher. And how do I know this? Because I actually took a hygrometer, which tells you percent humidity, and I've traveled on different kinds of planes, and it's fascinating to see that the humidity is actually higher on a Dreamliner, and your mucous membranes aren't going to be as dried out. And even people who wear contact lenses and have dry eye, they're more comfortable when it's a carbon fiber plane. And in a car, when you're driving and you have that defogger on, guess what? Everything's drying out, and you get more sick. So when you have children at home, or young people or people prone to illness, if you keep a hygrometer, which is a $10 instrument that tells you percent humidity, keep your humidity at approximately 45% or better in the winter, you will get sick less. I have 27-year-old triplets. They rarely ever got sick. And one of the things I paid close attention to, which my mother used to do, she used to run those Vicks vaporizers, but I had a humidifier and I kept the humidity at 45 to 50 their skin is better. My skin felt up with it. Your, your eyes dry. Your skin is dry. So that's something we don't pay attention, especially people who live in apartment buildings. And fan-forced hot air is economical, but it's one of the worst ways for human beings to be heated because it dries out our mucous membranes and we get sick more often. So that's another tip for our audience that pay attention to the humidity. It's very important. Uh, lastly, Dr. Mikolos, uh, yesterday and probably today, my son uh, stayed home sick from preschool because he's got pink eye. And yesterday uh, I learned that my wife has strep throat. So living with a two-year-old who has pink eye and a wife that has strep throat, how likely am I to get one or both of these? Well, with close a close intimate contact or exchange of body fluids, it possible and if you uh if your son has pink eye and you kiss him and you get your eye close you can you can get it there are some things that you can do to help control that in the household one of the things you can do is changing pillowcases frequently the other thing you can do is when you have pink eye there are different types viral bacterial oftentimes kids get bacterial where their lids are stuck together and they have some uh, particles on the inside corner of their eye. You wash the hair with baby shampoo. You let the lather go over the face with the eyes closed. You scrub the lids and lashes, and that removes a lot of the bacteria off the lids and lashes, and that's a maintenance mm. thing to help prevent. Change pillowcases and towels frequently. The other little trick is if someone has strep throat and then they use their toothbrush and then they wake up in the morning, guess what? Overnight, that toothbrush is filled with bacteria, and then you stick it in your mouth and you re-inoculate yourself. So I tell people when they have a cold or strep throat, get a little bit of a mouthwash. Like I, I don't like to use brands, but in this case I will because it works great. Listerine, mm-hmm. you soak it in a little cup and you soak your toothbrush overnight. So when you wake up in the morning and you use that toothbrush again, 
all the bacteria were fried on that toothbrush so you don't keep re-inoculating yourself with the same bacteria. The same thing with pink eye. When we sleep and we have strep throat or a cold, we usually then a few days later can get pink eye. Why? Because we breathe our bacteria onto the pillowcase and usually the side that you sleep on is the side you get your conjunctivitis first. Wow. So if I have strep throat or if I have a cold and I sleep on my right side, I will get my first conjunctivitis on my right eye. And that's why it's so important to change pillowcases every night when you have a bad cold and especially with little kids and run that humidifier and you'll find that they'll and teach start teaching little kids about hand washing because they touch various things, various objects, and then they touch their face, their eyes, and that goes for humans too. When you have a cold sore on your lip, that can be herpetic. And I see people, I saw someone today, and I, I, and I saw them about to touch their face and eyes. I said, stop, you just touched your cold sore on your mouth. You can spread it to your eye. And, and the simple, basic hygiene is helpful. Hand washing is important, changing pillowcases, keeping fresh, clean toothbrushes. After I have a bad cold or something, I throw away my toothbrush and get a fresh one. So these are some of the little things that people can do to get uh, sick less often. And, you know, in the wintertime, that's why uh, COVID starts raging when it starts getting very cold because we move indoors into the dry air. Dry air dries out our mucous membranes, viruses and bacteria more readily enter. The opposite occurs in Florida. In Florida, their problem is in the summer because they move indoor to the dry air of air conditioning, and that's why they have their COVID spikes in the summer months in warm climates, and we have it in the winter times. Uh, Dr. Mikolos, on that note, we're going to have to end it there. I very much appreciate you being available to us at this early hour. I hope we can do this again soon. Thank you very much, and thanks for always getting the truth out on the other side of midnight. Absolutely. Dr. Peter Mikolos, if you want to comment on any portion of our conversation, you're welcome to give me a call, 800-848-9222. That's 800-848-9222. This is The Other Side of Midnight. Straight ahead.